I have no idea where we are in the Bible, what series we're in. You know, I mean, it's been a bit. What I do know is when I left off, we were in a series asking hard questions, right? Asking for a friend. And it's Father's Day. And I thought, you know what? There's got to be some of us who are actively raising our kids right now or have already raised our kids. It's, it's still hard at times where, where we ask, you know what? Parenting's hard. You got any help for tired parents? And so I want to hone in on one particular proverb in the Bible today as we celebrate dads today. And, and right up front, I, want to, I, I just want to, like, truth and advertising, I'm going to lay it out there, a couple of things. One, Proverbs are not absolute promises. They are general truths. So these can't be taken as guarantees, if you will. Right? Now, I do think you can bank on Scripture. I don't want you to mishear me. But Proverbs are general truths that apply to general situations. And the one we're going to study today, we want it to be a guarantee so desperately. We'll get into that. The other thing I just want to admit right up front is that uh, as a dad, I feel like I know less today than at any other point in my dadding over the years. In other words, the older I got, the more humble I needed to become. Because when I, when my kids were young and I could teach on parenting and here's some discipline hacks and here's some truths about this and about that and, and you know, you could just lay it out there and, and, and this is no, no negative thing about my kids at all who again are both here today. Thank you. That's the best Father's Day gift ever. But my sense of having it all figured out as a parent, that flew the coop a long time ago. Because, because your kids are always changing. And you're always changing. And the context you live in is always changing. And so no matter what you go through and no matter what you do, it's hard. And so I want to begin here. What is the hardest stage of parenting? What do you think? It's exactly what I'm going to say. The one you're in. The one you're in. I mean, when, when, when the kids are babies and sleep is unheard of, we think, oh man, this is hard. And then they get a little older and we look back on that stage and go, oh, I missed that. When I could hold them and cuddle them and they didn't talk back, they cried, but it, I couldn't interpret it. Then when they're littles and everything is, you know what? No, no, I do it myself. I do it myself. Something in us begins to grieve a little bit about those little babies we once held. Then there's elementary school where, where it's hard to let go. And we're not sure if the hard to let go is them letting go of us or us letting go of them. But there's some definitive line there in elementary school where we're challenged to let go of our kids in ways that's it's challenging, isn't it? And then comes middle school. And middle school is that great reminder in life that everything you thought you know, you do not know. I think both for them and for you. And so in middle school, there's very much a sense as a parent. It's like, but I, 
What's wrong with being seen with my kids in public? Then there's high school. And you're not even sure your kids know who you are anymore. You know, they come, they go, they get work, they got school, they got uh, their activities. And, and you're thinking like, have we met? And then you launch them into the world and you couldn't be more proud of them. But ah, the letting go. Parenting's hard. Which stage of parenting is hardest? It's always the one you're in. It's always the one you're in. And about the time you think you've got a handle on things, oh, they change. Or you change. Or the diaper needs changed. So where do we find strength for the journey, for the marathon, for the for the lifetime partnership that is parenting. And if you know, I mean, I'm a preacher. You would expect this, right? I, I, where are we going to find strength? I don't know, Jesus. Here's what I do know. This is what it says in the book of Proverbs. Probably the most well-known proverb on the subject of parenting. You've heard this before, I would bet. If the Bible is new to you, Uh, In fact, if it's very new to you and you don't have a Bible, we keep Bibles in the room. They're bluish color. They're back on the back table and around the room in various places. Take one of our Bibles. Write your name in it. Consider it yours. We would love, uh, love, love, love for you to have your own Bible. And I'll even make that promise online. If you're watching online and you need a Bible, you don't have one, come to our office. Tell us you'd like a Bible. You can have one of ours. If you need one sent to you, tell me that. We'll find a way to get it to you. Everybody should have a Bible. So Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this. This is from the uh, New International Version that I tend to read from and preach from, but I'm going to give it to you in uh, two different uh, verses, uh, two different uh, translations today. Proverbs 22, 6 from the NIV says, Start children off in the way they should go. Start children off in the way they should go. Start children off in the way they should go and even when they're old they will not turn away from it maybe you're more familiar with the uh the more literal translation that the esv uses comes from uh very similar to the king james some other translations along the way says train up a child in the way he should go train up And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do you know how badly we want this to be a guarantee? So, so badly. We pray for our kids when they're babies. That they'll grow into godly young men and godly young women. And when we're te- when they're teenagers, we hold on tight to when they're old. Not to complain about our teens. We love our teens, right? Seriously. But we so want this to be a guarantee. And there's a really famous story in the Bible that reminds me that it's not. 
For one, you can start with Adam and Eve and go parent by parent through the Bible and find kids who do things that their parents probably wouldn't want them to do. But beyond that, do you remember the story Jesus told about a man who had two sons? One son rebelled, and Dad, you're dead to me. Give me everything that you owe me. He went off and he squandered it in wild living. And the other sat at home seething in his service of Dad. And, and when the younger brother came back repentant, he was hateful vengeful of not only the brother but dad and we use this story far more than not to picture the love of our father in heaven and his non-religious kids and his religious kids and how they frankly both miss the heart of god but i would simply show you that if God is our Father in heaven, and He is, His kids don't always do what He wants. And if you need a perfect example of that, get out your phone and switch it to selfie mode. Parenting is hard. That at the end of the day, you feel like you want something for your kids that you can't even live up to in your own reality. And so if I could convince you of anything today, it would simply be this, that parenting is a lifetime partnership between parents and God. Parenting is a lifetime partnership between parents and God. This is so important that we didn't even give you a blank to fill in. Lifetime partnership between parents and God. See, I don't know if you know this, but your kids aren't just yours. Well, ask your kids. Seriously, ask your kids. Your kids will tell you especially in those middle and high school years, that they're not just yours. But they're God's kids too. And you have to know deep in your soul that whatever good it is you want for your kids, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with their God, that He wants Absolutely what is best for them. But your kids and mine, they've got to grow up on their own. They've got to make their own choices, right? So what do we do as parents? Where can we have the best influence? What does it look like to start off a child in the way they should go? To train up a child in the way they should go. How do we do that? What does it look like? And what's this whole business about even when they're old? I want to see if we can understand it a little better, if you will. The word train has a lot of various meanings. It comes from the word hanak. In fact, you would recognize hanak as the beginning of the word Hanukkah. If that gives you some sense of meaning, 
There is this very well sense in which training here can mean dedication. It can mean initiation. There is a sense in which this word training is sometimes used to narrow. Meaning that as parents we narrow the field in the direction that we want our kids to go. That we dedicate them certainly to the Lord. But as we hope to His way of life. The various translations translate the word all over the map. There's train up, which is most common. There's start off because it can come to mean something along the lines of point in the right direction. And that gives me a hint of what I really want to unpack for us today. The training involves for our kids many different things. There are primary tools that we use as parents to train our kids along the way. If you think about it, one of, those cool, one of those tools is teaching. That we verbally teach some things. But let's be straight. We can talk about it all day long. My kids are going to, more than not, become what I do, not become what I say. So there's teaching. There's modeling. Modeling is so, so important. It's one thing to say, you know, as you grow up, I sure hope you'll walk with the Lord. It's another thing to walk with the Lord yourself and for your kids to watch you for 20, 30, 50, 70 years walk with the Lord. You know, your kids see, they see the good about you, but you you know as well as I do. Your kids see the flaws as well, don't they? They see the parts where, where the Lord didn't quite make it through, the day where grace wasn't on your tongue. There's teaching, there's modeling, there's direction, and there's discipline. Direction. Let's think about this. It says, start off a child in the way they should go. Start off has something to do with with showing, if you will, a starting line and go that way. Right? When my kids were younger, they would run. uh, They would run. I don't understand this. But like fundraisers for elementary schools, among other things, are built around either out-competing each other in selling wrappers, like, like, uh, uh, you know, foil and various things to go on Christmas gifts or to outrun each other in selling chocolates? How many chocolates have you sold over the years that your kids were selling? Or, in some cases, just outrun each other. We had an annual jogathon at my kids' elementary school, right? And and there was always a sense of, you know, a kids line up and there's like a gun or a or a you know a horn or a something to go, go, right? And you've always got that one kid that goes that way when everybody else runs this way. You need to start off a child in the way, in the direction they should go. Some of parenting is about pointing your kids down the right path. And like it or not, some of parenting is involved with discipline. In fact, most of the rest of the Proverbs that give us anything to sort of 
help with what parenting is like involve discipline. And we get caught up in the method that is spoken of in the Proverbs. And we, we, we have endless debates about the method involved in parenting or in, um, in discipline, rather. But I would simply show you that methods of discipline have to change, that they are unique to each child, that each child, sometimes, what, 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 what speaks discipline to one child is like a favor to another child. Go to your room, right? The introverted child is like, oh, yeah. Like, like go to my room and, like, what, read? Like, like you know? Like, what discipline is this? I'm going to talk back more. Right? And so you have to find the bent of your child, and you have to find ways to use discipline to narrow the child's conduct away from evil and toward godliness, starting them in the right direction. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs 19:18 Discipline your children for in that there is hope do not be willing to be do not be a willing party to their death Proverbs 22:15 Folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline will drive it far away Proverbs 23:13 and 14 Do not withhold discipline from a child if you punish them with the rod they will not die punish them with the rod and save them from death Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your children and they'll give you peace. They'll bring you the delights you desire. Again, I, I simply want you to see that I'm, I'm not trying to have a debate about spanking versus rods versus... What, what I am saying is that if we refuse to discipline then we're neglecting something so, so strategic that our kids need. And someone a long time ago said this, and I thought it made a lot of sense. I just wanted to relay it to you now. Distinguish in your discipline between childishness and sort of the big three, or the, the, the three D's, if you will. When we discipline our kids, there are three things we really think about heart values that, that we want to raise up in them. And so the discipline that revolves around the three D's is helpful. Disrespect, disobedience, and dishonesty. Disrespect, disobedience, and dishonesty. That is to say that we are trying to raise kids who have certain heart values, if you will, respect and honesty and love being among them. Here's what I do know. It's very fashionable today to just let your kids kind of find their own way. It's also very fashionable today to be helicopter parents, right? You, you, you're always hovering. You're always we, we want to protect our kids. And we look at this big bad world we live in and we look at all the dangers around and, and, and we just want to hem them in and hedge them in. But you know as well as I do, when you were 17, the more hedged in you were, the more you pulled back to run the other way. And so finding 
the right way forward with direction, with discipline, with modeling, with teaching is certainly challenging. I'm going to give you five reminders for tired parents if I can. Just trying to be practical. And by the way, tired parents can be uh, you know, with little, little babies, right? Not sleeping. Tired parents can be uh, up late at night wondering where your kids are. Tired parents can be parents whose, whose kids are 30 or 40 and they're wandering from the Lord and you're wishing something for them and praying for them. And Five reminders. Number one, the goal of training is heart change, right? If we're going to discipline, if we're going to parent, if we're going to do all of this as we're going to train them up, we're going to start them out in the way they should go, that the goal of all of this is heart change. And the best path to heart change is the gospel. Is the gospel. I want you to think about it. How often have rules really changed your heart? How often in American life does it work? We just make a law, and when we make a law, people follow it. Get out there on that highway. They make a law that you're only supposed to be in that left lane for passing. You know what I'm talking about? You know that law, right? That you're only supposed to pass in the left lane. But, they, but you know, it's Oregon, and they only made it a two lanes going north-south for a long stretch. And the right lane is permanently semis. So we all know, what do we do? Yeah, we, we, we go 10, 15 over in the left lane. What are you talking about? Right? But there's a law. And all I did was talk about the law about uh, passing on the left, not the one about the limit on your speed. Did you know well as I do that in your adult world that laws don't always work? And yet one of our favorite sayings as parents, we hated it when our parents said it to us, but we say it to our kids. Why do I have to do this? What do we say? We say, because, because I say so. Well, like that worked with you, with your parents and you, right? The goal of parenting, the goal of training, the goal of raising up kids is heart change. And the best way to change hearts is not the law. It is the gospel. And it doesn't mean there aren't expectations. I want to be clear. If we read our Bibles, we've got all kinds of law here. And it is the law that is good that points out where we fall short. But in all of our falling short, what brings redemption is the fact that Jesus died for those sins. That there is forgiveness and grace and mercy and in the discipline we do with our kids, in the training we do with our kids, we have to both model and live and share the gospel with them. I know as well as you that you want your kids to respond to the gospel. And we want that around here as well. That's why we work hard to make what we do on Sunday mornings with kids more than childcare. It's why we do events through the year in order to try to raise up godly kids who point them to what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. It's why our leaders and volunteers work double time to try to live a walk with Jesus before the kids. But I simply want to remind us that in our 
in our training up of the kids, they need to see the gospel in us. I didn't do the math on this. I probably should have. But do you know how many hours a week we get with your kids? You know, I mean, like back in the old days when church was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, right? Maybe we got four or five. You know how many hours a week softball, baseball, football, dance, choir? You know how many hours a week those things get with our kids? You know how many hours a week you get with your kids? If your kids are teenagers, you're like, not enough. There's only so much gospel that the church can partake in and pass on. And if we say to our church, you give the gospel to our kids and at home, we're going to walk this way over here. But we want them to learn to follow the gospel. There is no learning to follow the gospel that will happen on Sundays if they don't see it day to day at home. I'm not saying we won't do what we can. We love what we do, right, Julie? We we love the privilege we have of hanging out with kids and teenagers and influencing them towards the heart of Jesus. But at the end of the day, your kids will learn more about the gospel from you than they do from me in their life journey. And the goal of all of that training is heart change. We want to shape hearts. We want to shape Minds, if you will, we want to raise kids that are honorable, that are respectful, that are loving, that are, if we begin to think about the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And those things are going to come from the gospel itself, which means our kids need us to point them back to Jesus. And in that moment where they've really blown it, in that moment where they've been disobedient, disrespectful, and dishonest, all in one take. And those moments do happen, right? Right? Because when I got caught as a kid, I didn't want to be in trouble. So what I do? I lied about it. Right? So I got disobedient, dishonest, and disrespectful. Right? I, I, I remember I was probably elementary age somewhere. I learned some word at school that you're not supposed to say. Good kids don't say, right? And I remember coming home and saying it to my parents one day. It was like, what did you say? Right? I just got it all. What our kids need is to see Jesus in us and our lives. A lot of what our kids learn heart value wise is more taught or rather more caught than taught. That we will teach them certainly. But they're going to pick up on what they see behind the scenes when we think they're not paying attention. Heart change. Number two, you and I are here to help our kids discover their God-given bent. You and I are here to help them discover their God-given bent. There's a lot unpacked to unpack here, but your kid was not just created by you. You were there, I'm sure of that. But they were created by the Lord. 
And God knows them in their inmost being, Psalm 139 says. Knit together in their mother's womb. And so there is very much a sense that they are God's kids and that they are created by God. And as they are created by God, they are made with gifts that they will receive when they receive the Spirit. You're pointing them to the gospel. That they are made with talents. They're made with they're made with all kinds of personality sort of things. And this is train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not turn from it. And the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not turn from it. The great debate here is the way they should go. Is that about right and wrong? Or is that about understanding who God made them to be in their bent? And I just want to say, like, the answer can be both. Right? They need to know right from wrong, but they also need to understand the God-given DNA they've been given in their world, in their life. They need to discover their skills and their heart and their passions, their abilities, all the things that he's put in them. The literal language here in the Hebrew, it says, train them up upon the mouth of their way. That's a weird phrase. Upon the mouth of their way. The understanding of this Hebrew idiom comes back to, it means something like according to or in accord with. In the mouth of the way, it goes back to when a servant would say uh, to their superior in that day and in that time that at the command of the superior, of the authority on the say-so of someone else, that the, the, the servant would say yes out of their mouth. It, 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 the picture that it's painting for us is this sense in which our kids need to learn that God is their superior, not just you and I. And that their answer to Him would be yes. I think this is the piece that we most want to be not only a promise but a guarantee that when our children are young and that they follow Jesus and they're taught that and they're raised in church, that when they're raised with the gospel and grace when they're young, we want a guarantee that when they're 30 or when they're 40 or when they're 18 or, 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 or whatever age, that when they're older, that they will always make the right decision, that they will always do the right thing, that they will always go the right way. You know how often I didn't make the right decision, didn't go the right way? I'm your pastor, right? I'm, I'm supposed to be the good, do the right thing kind of guy. You know how often I don't go the right way, how often I don't do the right thing? What I do know is that your kids and mine, they were made a certain way by God. And the best thing we can do is help them understand between them and God who He's made them to be. Now, does that involve right and wrong? Sure. Do they have a sin nature that's broken, that always rebels against God? Sure. That's why they need the gospel. That's why I also need the gospel. Let me, let me rephrase. Can we bring that proverb back up? 
22.6, yes. Start off a child on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they'll not turn from it. So let's say it this way. How many parents today let their kids have their own way all the time? That they never say no to the kids. Are there parents out there like that? Do you see parents out there like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I will certainly tell you. I, I, I mean, I, I was way too judgmental about this before I had kids. When I, when I was, you know, my kid is never going to do that in the grocery store. Right? Like lay down on the floor and throw a tantrum and scream and holler. And my kid is never going <clears> to. <throat> right? You just, you, they, you, you don't control them. They do have a nature within them that wants what they want. And it's that childness we're, we're trying to drive out. But start off a child on the way they should go. Let's, let's rephrase that. I'm not trying to change scripture. Please understand that. But, but let's just say that we, we let children go the way they should go. Let children do what they want to do. Let children have their way. Train up a child in having their way the way they want to go. The general truth would still apply. When they are old, they will not turn from it. Let a child do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. And when they were old, they will expect a life that gives them whatever they want, however they want, whenever they want. And so you and I have a role in helping our kids realize the way the world really is. Like, yeah, I'm to hear my dad. Like, who told you life was fair? Our parents play a significant role in helping us as we're in those formative years when we're trying to test the waters and we're trying to say what really matters in this world, that our parents and how our parents, how they respond to us, play a significant role in helping us make good decisions and helping us discover our skills and our bent along the way. And helping us know how to lean in to God. When we finally admit to ourselves we don't have it all figured out on our own. You know, as, as Americans, we have a tendency to feel like, you know what? I got to give my kids all the best. I got to give my kids all I can. I got to give them what everybody else has given them. I got to give them what, you know, and that's what leads to like, you know, four-year-olds having cell phones. And, and I got, one of the great debates today is at what age can a child really handle the responsibility that comes with these things? And the pressure in school right now is the younger the better, right? You go to elementary school and you've got, you've got kindergarten kids, you've preschool kids probably who who... Yeah, fair point. Hey, can you help me? I can't. It's stuck. Help. Right? It's something intuitive about when you're young. You just learn. You see other people swiping and you go, I know how to do that. But the responsibility involved in having one of these things? Like at what point is social media helpful? And at what point is social media hurtful? 
We're living a world where we want our kids to be experience rich. So we want to make sure that they get the best of the sports or the best of the dance or the best of all of the experiences in this life. Because we look around and social media tells us that the kids need all of these experiences. But in America, I find that we are experience rich and we are relationally poor. There are places and people around the world who do relationships with kids and extended generations far better than we do. I should keep going. I'm running out of time. You might say I forgot how to learn, forgot how to preach. I think I forgot how to keep track of time while I was preaching. That's what I forgot how to do. Number three, parenting is a process. It requires more patience than you are capable of. It goes without saying that parenting is a marathon. I think you know that. But it's a process. There's a process involved. Your kids are changing. You are changing. It's a very long process. There'll be trial and error. There'll be failure and the need for grace. There'll be times where you you watch your kids begin to change and you're super proud of them and then you see them go two steps back and you're going, what happened? What I do know is that as a parent... Parenting will require more love than I have to give, more energy than I am capable of producing, more faithfulness than I seem to to possess. Uh, Parenting requires more unselfishness than I have. That there is that old, uh, it's not a real proverb, but sort of that Christian saying you hear all the time where people say don't pray for patience because if you pray for patience, then God's going to put you in situations that require it. I'm like, dude, just have kids. Right, the, the need for patience is built in, which, by the way, is part of God's way of forcing you and I to grow up. When did you really start learning maturity? When did you really start becoming who God intended you to be? A lot of it comes from sitting on the other side of the table and thinking, oh, Dad wasn't so bad. What I do know is that along the way in this process of raising kids and this journey that's a marathon and this process that requires more patience than I am capable of is that the older I got, the more I realized my kids needed to hear certain words from me more often. Words like, I'm sorry. Words like, will you forgive me? Words like, help me understand. Certainly there was some Jesus take the wheel, right? Along the way, I very much had to learn, Jesus, what you can do is better than what I can do. Number four, entrust your kids to Jesus and trust that he loves them more than you do. Right? I guess this is just getting at the stage of life I'm in. That at some point along the journey... There's a letting go involved. And we struggle to let go because we look at the realities of this harsh, brutal world around us. And and we're not ready to let go, are we? No. Are they ready for us to let go? Absolutely. You know, what age do our kids want us to let go? Probably when they're about 10. Right? Certainly by middle school, they're ready for us to let go. One of the learnings I had to come to along the way is that if letting go is a part of the process, and it is, and it is, 
that I'm not just letting them go to the universe. I'm not just letting them go to this brutal trouble choosing my words because there's a lot of words I want to use to describe the world that aren't very good words. It's not just letting them go to that. It's letting them go to Jesus. It's entrusting that he loves them more than I do. Somewhere along the way, I fell in love with having a say with my kids. You know, having an opinion and expecting them to care about it. And as I have grieved, and it's okay to use that word, I think, my kids growing up and getting older and launching out in college and all the things that I am super proud of with them, one of the things I've had to grieve was having a say. And it doesn't mean there aren't times where the phone rings or the text message comes and they say, Dad, the car, the car is this. What do you think? Right? It's not that I don't have a say sometimes. It's just I got used to having a say all the time, right? So which is better in my kid's life? Straight up. Me having a say or Jesus having a say in their life? What I've learned is that in letting go, I have to let go so that they can listen to Jesus more than they listen to dear old dad. Certainly, faith is one of the greatest lessons in life. Train up a child in the way he should go and the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. They'll not turn from it. In a sense, what I'm saying to you is that I have to trust that God can do in their life what I cannot. And he certainly loves them more than I do. One last thing. I just say this. This is mostly to myself. You just, I don't know if you know this, but when I preach, I have a conversation with God. And you guys get to sort of hear the results of that. And you get to listen in on my conversation with God, if you will. And so this fifth one's really just for me. But never forget that for the goal to be achieved, triumph of child and the way they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. For all of that to be achieved in their life, I have to let go of the bike. You remember when they were, I don't know, somewhere between about four and seven, and they had the training wheels on the bike, and the training wheels were good because it provided stability, and they started to get good enough that they thought, I got this down. And I can handle this and I can do this. And they wanted the training wheels taken off. And you weren't quite sure if they were ready for the training wheels taken off. But, but sure enough, some point in the journey, you said, okay. And you, you get out the, the wrench and you take the training wheels off. The training wheels come off the bike. And there's that moment where you're out in the street or you're out in the, the, the pathway or wherever it is you are. Hopefully not a street with cars. And you're pushing them like, help me get going, Dad, right? And you're, you're holding on to it. Remember the old bikes used to have like a little handle at the back? Like behind the all the all the people with gray hair know what I'm talking about. There was a, there was sort of a thing behind the right, and so you would push them along and you'd get them going, and they were pedaling furiously, and there was all that wobble involved, and you let go, and when you let go, they'd wobble and they'd weave and they'd go, and you'd go, please don't hit the mailbox, and they'd do their thing, and then pretty soon they had rhythm and they were going, and you and your spouse were like. 
crying and laughing and hugging and high-fiving and cheering and you were excited. That's what I say to myself now. I say, Dad, you started them out in the way they should go. So let go so they can find it. They're excited about their future. You should be too. We always end our service with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. The second a prayer of application. If you need Jesus today, I hope you would know the gospel. That Jesus not only was born into our world, but he lived a perfect life. That he taught us how to follow God. But more than all of that, that he died on the cross for our sins. That they buried him in a borrowed grave. That he returned to life on the third day. That he is alive today. That he is God in the flesh. And what he offers us is not just discipline but grace and mercy and forgiveness that points us back to the right way. And if you need Jesus today, maybe you'd pray with me right now. Dear Jesus, I need you in my life. And I need your forgiveness in my life. And so Jesus, I turn to you and I ask you to take over my life and forgive my sins and all my failures. Be my God, Jesus. Give me your heart. Make me like you. Mold my heart to be all it should be. In Jesus' name. If that's you, you prayed to follow Jesus, to become a Christian this morning, I would love to cheer that for you, but I can't cheer it for you if I don't know about it. So let me know. You can let me know on a communication card. You can let somebody know that you came with. You can let me know by emailing me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. I would love, 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 online or in person. I would love to celebrate that. As we pray our application prayer today, I kind of want to do it slightly different today if it's okay. Some of us are raising kids right now, meaning we still have kids at home. And... And I want to pray for all of us as parents, but I particularly want to pray for those of us that are raising our kids right now. Can we, can we again, I sort of has to do this earlier, but sort of just reach out a little bit in the direction of someone that may be near you who's still raising their kids right now? Because I promise you this, they're tired. Let's pray for some strength for them. In fact, maybe you'd join me in praying this prayer. Dear Jesus, Thank you for our own parents who endured so much. Thank you for all the parents in this room. Thank you for those who've already raised their kids and showed us the way. Thank you for those who are in this room who will one day be parents. Thank you for the privilege we have of showing them the way. But Lord, we pray for those raising their kids right now. We pray for power and strength and patience. We pray for guidance and wisdom. But Jesus, more than anything, we pray for your work of grace 
And we pray for your work of grace in their kids. We pray for your work of grace to be the way we should go. And we pray that in the end, that our kids would not turn from it. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. You know, Brian must be back because service ran a little long again today. It's really good to be home. I love you all.